Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our show today is all about Amazon.com, looking at the Seattle-based retailer and what sort of effect they've had on the landscape of retail, transforming uh, from a small online bookstore into something that is massive, that can deliver you alcohol or food from restaurants or any other sort of thing that can be shipped to your door on the day of or within two days for free shipping. So uh, to talk about this, our guest is Olivia Lavecchia, who is a research associate at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, specifically within the Community Scaled Economic Initiative. She's a former reporter and has won local and national recognition, including the 2014 Media for a Just Society Award for newspaper writing. She received her BS in journalism and English writing from Northwestern University. If you would like to come to one of our shows, uh, they're currently happening every Monday in March and April at the Bryant Lake Bowl. To find out more information and see what upcoming topics and guests are happening, go to www.t2p2.net. It's a letter T, the number two, the letter P, the number two, dot net. Also, we would like to thank our media sponsor for this season, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find out more at MinPost.com. All right, that's everything. I hope you enjoy the show. This is like a big topic, and even when we were sort of um, uh, talking a little bit before the show, we were saying this is just so huge, you know, to try and cover everything. But maybe we can just sort of set the stage. Somebody who is in a, uh, they were put in some sort of time capsule in 1996, and they think that Amazon is a bookstore. Uh, so can you just sort of, there was a woo for Amazon being a bookstore. Uh, they might go back to that, Amazon retro. But... Until then, what can you just sort of lay out? What is Amazon? I guess when we even just try and say that, uh, what yeah. what is Amazon today, twenty seventeen? Definitely, and you know, I think even people who haven't been in a time capsule, a lot of people still think of Amazon as an online bookstore, or even just as an online retailer. Um, there's this way that. There's something about Amazon that's so familiar and ubiquitous, and so many of us interact with it all the time. Um, I think it, it gives us this sense that we know what it is, and the company does have this kind of friendly, you know, consumer-facing retail side. Um, Which is usually good for a business. It's yeah. weird when businesses have, like, an angry, like counter like customer facing yeah, side you, you don't want to be consumer unfriendly it's yeah like that's that's your game yeah. yes so uh, I, a lot of folks i don't know we could do a round of applause and we can't see you so there's no shame in this but just a round of applause if you use amazon to purchase things ever so that's i partially do that so that we end up getting some applause during the show but um but so, uh, yeah. so we you can order anything through Amazon, yes. right? So- yeah, and even that side of the company is huge. Um, our, you know, we we did this recent report, and we found that when you look at uh, sales that Amazon is doing directly, and sales that are from third party sellers through its marketplace, um, Amazon is capturing one out of every two dollars that Americans are spending on goods online. Um, so yeah. what is that? You say capturing. What does that mean? Like. Uh, uh, kind of the flowing through Amazon's platform. Um, not not all to Amazon itself, because it, it has this direct sales thing and this third-party sales thing. Um, but So even just the, the retail side is huge. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of other stuff that Amazon is doing. Um, so a couple of examples yeah. there. Uh, it has Amazon Web Services, um, which is the, the largest cloud computing uh, provider. Uh, it, it controls one-third of the world's cloud computing capacity and powers everyone from Netflix to the CIA. It has big government contracts. Wait, the CIA uses Amazon for... Uh, why? It's they, true. You, I, it would just seem like... I mean, I know that we have a budget that's cutting a lot of stuff, but I just... <laughs> I didn't realize that we were in that kind of shape. <laughs> uh, it's almost, ever, I mean, a huge number of, of companies and, uh, you know, public services use Amazon Web Services to power their, their online activities. Um, so that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. one arm of it. There's another arm that is really rapidly expanding uh, package delivery and shipping. So Amazon recently acquired a line of... Uh, it's, it's leased a line of cargo planes. Um, it has a U.S. maritime license as a freight forwarder from China to the U.S. Uh, it's increasingly lobbying for its drone delivery service. Oh, um, man, we have to talk about drone delivery in yes. a second. Um, I, but 
let's circle back quickly though to the the online retail side which is i think what a lot of folks interact with yeah and just uh, how did that, because again, if you had been in a time capsule for the last 20 years, you might think, oh, it's a bookseller, but it grew really fast where literally you can get almost anything, uh, now. On, and so how did that happen? How did, Am- and because they weren't the only people who figured out, oh, the internet, people might want to purchase things on the internet, but they somehow became the ones to do one out of every $2 that's spent on the internet to do this. So mm-hmm. how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I they they were among the first. They were really early, um, but then you know, definitely one of the range of things that we've seen from them over the years is that one of the ways that they've grown is by kind of squashing competition. Um, so over this this twenty plus years since uh, Jeff Bezos' classic story founded Amazon in a garage. Um, since then, one of the things we've seen is is when they have encountered businesses that that are competing with them, particularly in the e-commerce space, um, they they kind of squash them. Um, so two examples are uh, there was diapers.com and zappos.com. Uh, diapers.com baby goods. Um, Zappos.com online shoe sales and important not to confuse the two. Sure. Yes. In both cases. Um, Amazon uh, started a price war with them. Um, So Amazon has deeper pockets um, and uh, was willing to lose a lot of money, ultimately weakening them enough that Amazon bought them. Um, And so, you know, these are two examples of businesses that are still standalone. You can go to Zappos.com and get shoes, but Amazon owns Zappos. um, And that's that's a a range of uh, businesses across the web. What what happened what happened to diapers.com? Same thing. Still exists. Still but exists, Amazon but it. Amazon owns it. So uh I mean, you know, if I if I were putting on uh my economic free market hat, I would say, well, they win. Like they won. So I mean, why why should we why is that bad? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, definitely um uh that's the uh, a lot of people who shop on Amazon and are like, this is really convenient. It's yeah, a good why service should I have I to go to like a different site for my diapers and a different site for my shoes and some third site where I buy something else yes. um, if I need something other than diapers and shoes at some point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you could need. No, but. I don't either. But, um, <laughs> but why, I mean, because that's sort of the, that's I think why probably at this point so many people do use Amazon because mm-hmm. it's like everything is there in one place. There's an efficiency to that. Right. Right. I, you know, there, I think there are, are definitely things that Amazon does really well that people really like. Um, and I, you know, I, I also think that there are some of the things that, that are flashy about that, like same day delivery. It seems like such a, an, a luxury in some ways. Um, but that, that kind of obscures some of the things that even just as, as consumers, um, we're losing when we interact with this company. So um, what are some of those things that we're losing? I think one of them is, is product discovery. Definitely my personal experience uh, shopping for things. And, and research backs this up that uh, you are much more likely to encounter something new that you didn't know you were looking for when you're, you're browsing as opposed to typing something directly into a search engine. Um, and then uh, something that goes right along with that is product innovation. Um, so as I've been looking into this company, I have talked to a lot of small and medium-sized retailers and manufacturers, and they say that they really rely on having a kind of diverse ecosystem of uh, retailers in order to bring new products to market. Um, and that as Amazon is, is increasingly powerful in the retail space, it's a lot harder to, to roll out something new. And that in turn then kind of limits the incentives to innovate and create new products. So, this so, is, so there's p- this way that we don't know what we're losing. So the, there's... Part of this is uh, we lose something by not going shopping or, or whatnot because we don't see the things that we don't know that we need or don't know that we want or whatnot. But uh, I, that, uh, there's a part of me that's like really conflicted. Like my liberal guilt is like torn where I'm like, oh, the consumerism would be terrible that we're just like going out and buying things or whatnot. But uh, this seems problematic as well if it's like crushing the innovation piece and whatnot. So um, in which ways should I feel bad? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let us count the ways. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm here all night. <laughs> But, you know, I, I do, um, I think 
big pieces of it is is not the kind of consumer side too and the ways that we interact with the economy as consumers but also along with that we're people who have jobs and and sometimes want to produce goods or start businesses um there are all of these other ways that we interact with the economy and needs that we have in the economy and there's kind of a, a growing body of research from economists and, and legal professionals and professors saying the increasing dominance and and uh, concentrated power in the hands of a couple of small uh, of big <laughs> businesses in different sectors um is really uh having some negative impacts on the economy and Amazon being one of those companies. And so this is a, I, I think almost anybody uh, who, you know, uses Amazon probably feels that whether you live in a metro area or in a small town or a suburb, you feel that sense of like, oh, this is probably bad for my local businesses and whatnot. Um, uh, but again, we kind of circle back to the the efficiency piece or whatnot, where people still keep choosing this. And so I'm wondering, like, what's the argument here? Is it because again, I feel as though some people would point to it and say, "Well, you know, that's that's lousy," but Amazon's doing it better. So um, why why should we uh, sort of uh, somehow try and balance that out on in the favor of small businesses if they can't just mm -hmm. compete on their own? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's a it's about an approach to policy and that um uh there are yeah. al along with the, the things that we get from it as as consumers, I think there are things that, you know, we can think about uh, our power as citizens too and that we might be, you know, definitely using Amazon for something some of the time and that there that doesn't mean we can't also be talking with our representatives about also you know regulating this company and and big companies like it in ways that uh, promote good jobs and competition and uh, open and fair markets well and this is one of the pieces of the report that I think is very interesting is that uh, again you know we've been talking so far about Amazon just sort of competing with uh, different types of stores and whatnot and, and winning. The, but it's not that in and of itself either. I mean, communities or cities and states have done things to uh, actually give Amazon legs up in certain cases in terms of uh, whether or not they pay sales tax or a distribution mm -hmm. center or something like that. So can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like what what were the things that allowed Amazon to sort of grow as quickly as it was able to? Yeah, um, so definitely one of those things was uh, sales tax. For most of its history so far, Amazon has not collected sales tax in most of the places where it does business. Um, for until just a couple of years ago, its, its strategy was about locating its uh, only uh, warehouses and physical facilities in places that were low population centers. Um, so for instance, it a few years ago built a, a big warehouse in Kenosha to serve, which is in Wisconsin, to serve Chicago without having to locate in Illinois. Um, so it wasn't collecting sales tax from everyone who lives in Chicago. Um, and you know, when you're talking about retail, margins are really thin. Uh, th that's a, a, depending on where you are, anywhere from a five to a 10% price advantage um, that can be you know, the entire profit margin in retail. Um, so things like that, that Amazon really um, was a, a skilled evader um, of, of some of the responsibilities that other businesses had to keep. So that uh, was them had sort to keep. of playing, the, playing that field or what? Are there ways, though, that policymakers have, um, I don't know, either not uh, have dropped the ball on Amazon or have actively promoted them having some sort of unfair advantage? Yeah. Well, one of the things was, was not, you know, closing that uh, sales tax loophole sooner, which is something that we've seen starting to change in the last couple of years and, and particularly the last year. Um, but other things is direct subsidies. Um, between 2005 and 2015, the analysis that we did at ILSR found that more than half of their facilities have, have gotten uh, public subsidies, including the pair that was built uh, two years ago just in Shakopee right here. When um, you say, what, what does that look like, the public, like the city's literally giving them money to build it or? In some cases. Um, in Shakopee, what it looked like was, was kind of a, a deferred uh, tax thing where it, it resulted in uh, 
Amazon getting kind of a $6 million tax break um, in exchange for some building out of the infrastructure that it needed to run those facilities. Um, but one of the things that Amazon asked for in the Shakopee case, which it has also asked for in a lot of other cases, um, is even just a, a direct uh, tax break for creating jobs or um, you know, some of the other arguments it makes about economic development. Um, and see, this is a piece that I'm sure, you know, if you went to a policymaker, if you went to, uh, you know, somebody at the state legislature, even in Shakopee, and said, oh, the Amazon's very problematic, they say, well, they're bringing a thousand jobs to the city, uh, you know, that aren't there otherwise. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I mean, what's, uh, what's the counter to that? I mean... Yeah, uh, one of the things that that we have found in looking at the company is that you know certainly the jobs argument. Um, we find that Amazon is uh, destroying more jobs than it's creating as sales shift to Amazon and away from other businesses. Um, we found that that's a, a net loss of 150,000 jobs so far in the U.S. Um, between you know efficiencies of scale, uh, squeezing quite a, a lot from its workers. Um, and automation is something that, that Amazon is, is uh, investing heavily in as well. And this is the part that I struggle with so much, though, in this uh, debate is um, it's uh, destroying some of these jobs or whatnot. But the argument I'm sure Amazon would say is, you know, these were inefficient jobs. They were going away anyway, right? Um, is the, uh, you know, it seems like the counter would be, well, we should keep an inefficient system in order to keep more people employed, which literally is like a Luddite argument. That was the argument of the Luddites. So, I, I mean, uh, how, how do we balance those two things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, efficiency is a word that has come to mean kind of like a lot of different things to, to, uh, to different people. Um, and I don't think efficiency is necessarily like the holy grail, that like if, if a company is more efficient, it, it necessarily means that it's, it's doing things better or, or doing things, you know, that... Uh, meet all of the needs we would have of an economy. Yeah. I think about, like, we, uh, I'm going to get, like, a sad boo here, but, like, Macy's closed on Sunday, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was... So, anyway. Uh, so, it was... Um, but, and I, you know, my mother, who's coming and visiting, like, literally comes to Minneapolis, and she used to partially to, like, go shop at Macy's because she loved it and she grew up here. But I would always walk into a, and whenever I walk into a big department store, I'm like, why are there 50 people here to, like, follow me around and see whether or not I'm going to buy shoes? This seems insane to me. Um, and uh, I, I don't have someone following me around uh, on Amazon, which feels better. So... <laughs> Little little do you know, Amazon yeah. is tracking your purchases. They are. That's, that's, are they, okay, are they, but the, yeah, that's fun. Okay. So, I, I mean, how do we, again, sort of like, I, I, I'm just trying to think through that if I'm trying to make the argument like, you know, there's a problem here with Amazon, we need to, I, I, I find it hard to make the argument like, well, we need to just sort of preserve things the way that they are necessarily because, you know, there there are things that are, are going to change in the way these look are, are going to be different. Um, and we don't maybe necessarily need stores that are, are structured the way that they were in 1950 or 1975. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you're looking forward, I guess, impartially, what, what does it actually look like that is doing maybe some of the efficiency things, but actually doing it in a good positive way. Right, right. I mean, I, I think we, we don't totally know. There are things that, that are really changing that cities in particular, I think, haven't totally started to grapple with yet. You know, things like Macy's closing downtown and hundreds of other locations around the country. Um, there are kind of waves of retail vacancy that are hitting right now, and with that come big losses in property tax revenue and jobs, even in a sense of um, kind of local agency and control. Um, and I, I think some of those things, you know, we haven't really started figuring out, okay, if, if uh, there are fewer commercial properties and that's a major source of municipal budgets, what happens then when, the, when there are fewer of those? Um, I think there are other things that, you know, uh, are, are more concerning about business formation and, and where our jobs come from, that as we're seeing, uh, uh, really powerful companies like Amazon um, 
control access to the market for for other businesses. Um, we're seeing, you know, entrepreneurship peaked in the 1970s. Rates of, of new business formation peaked in the 1970s and have been declining since then. Um, some of these things that I think aren't just about efficiency, but about uh, how how are we going to think about the role of um, being able to be producers and, and business people and uh, play in, in a field where there's this one company that has a lot of power. Would it be better if we didn't have big companies? Like, just like, as a, could, could we just, like, what, I mean, a lot of people are very pessimistic about the Trump administration. So what if we ended up in just a Mad Max hellscape? And... <laughs> And it's just like the business was like the guy who sold like leathers to wear uh, when you're walking down the street and then the gas canister guy. And like those were the two biggest businesses. <laughs> and then otherwise it was a barter system. I mean, is that, is that, is that your utopia, Olivia? I, I'm definitely not advocating for that future. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I have to say about Mad So Max. drones... <laughs> drones. Uh, is uh, is Amazon going to start delivering everything to us via drones, and then it's just going to like uh, drop out of the sky, and then there's there's not even a guy driving or a woman driving the truck anymore. Yeah, uh, you know it's one of those things that a couple of years ago, Jeff Bezos, uh, founder and CEO of Amazon, went on Charlie Rose and uh, said, "Hey, this is something we're exploring." And at the time, people thought. We've never heard of such a thing. What do you mean? And as Amazon often does now, uh, a few years later, it is actually something that they're doing. Um, where this past summer, they struck a deal with the British government to start uh, test flights in the UK. Um, and uh, the technology that they're testing can deliver packages up to five pounds, which is almost 90% of all of their deliveries. So. As, as they start figuring this out, it, it could um, be, you know, really brought to scale pretty quickly. And uh, right, as you point out, that uh, also means automating package delivery um, in a big way. And right now, package delivery is a sector of the economy that still provides a lot of stable, unionized, middle-income income jobs, um, one million jobs between the U.S. Postal Service and UPS. Um, so again, you know... Questions that we have to be asking as as we see Amazon and, and a handful of other big companies like it um, start really changing these things. What is work going to look like as that happens? Um, and another part of it is uh, Amazon has increased its lobbying a lot or, around a number of uh, issues, but particularly around uh, the federal rules in the U.S. for unmanned aircraft. Um, so right now, Amazon can't test its, its drones here, um, and it really wants the Federal Aviation Administration to change that. Um, so between 2014 and 2015, Amazon increased its lobbying by 90% and is now one of the biggest presences in D.C. Um, and I think that goes back to thinking about how much uh, economic power can be concentrated in big companies, and what comes with that is concentrated political power, too. Other than Amazon, is there anybody? Uh, is, are there any uh, entrepreneurs or businesses that actually benefit from sort of the growth of Amazon? Are there sectors where it's my independent business wouldn't have been able to get off the ground if I couldn't have been part of Amazon's marketplace or, or something like that? Amazon is increasingly um, telling that story, trying to tell that story, um, where you know it, it, it does hold up numbers. Um, I think in its most recent annual report, it said something like there are now 75,000 marketplace sellers doing sales of $100,000 a year. Um, and I think there's there's a lot that's misleading about that, which is that when you actually talk to a lot of the people who are marketplace sellers, this isn't the creation of new businesses. It's kind of the, the capture of an existing business ecosystem by Amazon. Um, a lot of these companies are businesses that had their own e-commerce operations or, or, you know, thriving brick and mortar operations. And increasingly as um, Amazon is capturing more of that online marketplace, they are just getting less traffic um, and, and having kind of more limited options beyond sort of having to sell on Amazon. Um, and when you talk to them, there are a lot of um, complaints that they have about ways that Amazon, you know, is a competitor as a retailer, but also controls this platform and the conflicts of interest that they see from that and, and the control that Amazon has over them. Um, but they don't have a lot of other choices. 
Uh, so w I should say once again, we're going to open it up in the second half of the show for everyone to ask questions. But um, short of uh, you know putting together some Molotov cocktails and just burning down the place, what is it that people should do? Um, and you can order Molotov cocktails on Amazon. I'm pretty sure. Um, but what can't you? Uh, so yeah, what can't you? So. Yeah, you get it by, and then they just drop them, and it's terrible. Uh, From, uh, using drones. Yeah, um, but what should people do? Especially if if you're gonna, if you know, I, I don't know if there's a state legislator in the audience, but if there was, and you were gonna just like corner them and say, here's what uh, you should do, or here's what we should do as consumers, uh, as two separate questions. What should both legislative bodies be doing right going forward, and what should we as consumers be doing? Mm -hmm. I think there's there's actually a lot of low-hanging fruit. Amazon, you know, as you were saying, has grown uh, so big so relatively quickly um, that I think even just on the, the education and awareness side, before we get to policy, there's a lot that can happen. Um, we have seen in, in the past 10 years uh, things like independent business alliances, um, local first to buy local campaigns, um, really be able to move the needle on some of these things. And I think continuing to... Uh, Spread awareness about that is sort of a, a first step. Um, then, you know, next step, pretty simple things like stop using taxpayer funds to subsidize Amazon's expansion as it's rapidly building out its uh, its network of fulfillment centers. Um, when you hear about a proposal in your community, uh, getting in touch with your representative and saying, let's not subsidize this. There, there are other ways that we can use our economic development dollars instead. Um, from there, I think there are a lot of ways that, that cities, towns, and states can kind of generally promote, use policy to promote um, a culture of competition that aren't related to Amazon specifically. Um, things that cities like San Francisco and a number of others have done that kind of, uh, as uh, chains get bigger and want to open more locations, sort of put the, the burden on the chain to, to say we're going to be bringing something positive here. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Amazon specifically, I think there's a lot of power left in our antitrust laws, um, which come from a, a situation not unlike the one that we're in today, where a century ago we had new technology. You know, one example, the railroad at the time, and we had a, a handful of tycoons capture that technology and use it to control access to the market. and uh, people came together and from that past antitrust laws that are still on the books, things about predatory pricing laws, conflict of interest laws, um, common carrier laws, and we really changed the way that we enforce those laws start, starting in the 1970s, um, where that now they're a lot more about the impact to the consumer. So if you can't show price increases, uh, it's harder to make an antitrust case, but that wasn't always the case. Um, and there's kind of a, a growing movement of, you know, again, economists, uh, lawyers, uh, people who follow these issues closely saying, maybe we've gone too far in the other direction and we can, we still have these laws and we can change how we enforce them again. And Minnesota is actually really well positioned to lead on that. Um, Senator Klobuchar is the, the kind of top Democrat on antitrust issues in the Senate. Uh, and Senator Franken also serves on the antitrust subcommittee and is really vocal about that. Um, so, you know, as many of us are, are uh, in communication with our representatives more these days, we can encourage and uh, prod them on that too. All right, well, I imagine there's gonna be lots of questions in the second half of the show, but please, uh, right now, a big round of applause for our guests. Thank you, Good? We're good? All right. All right, fantastic. So if you have a question for our guest, uh, raise your hand and I will race towards you in a non-threatening manner. All right, yes, uh, right here. Okay, I'm going to hand you the... I wanted to ask, you didn't specifically address this, but um, I assume that one of the dangers down the road from an organization like Amazon uh, becoming such a, uh, an elephant in the room in, as a retail uh, operation that they could actually, even though they offer great prices right now, eventually driving enough people out of business and having less and less competition, they could start raising their prices and we, the consumers, would all pay the bill. Definitely. Um, you know, I think we're, we're increasingly uh, 
seeing people use the word monopoly when we talk about Amazon, um, and that's that's the the classic uh, monopoly thing. Right now, um, Amazon is definitely uh, changing the wage structure and, and pricing on kind of the labor side of it, which is another side of having a lot of, of market power. Um, but we are seeing uh, Amazon raising prices already. Um, there is a, a study that recently came out that shows that kind of on high ticket, high visibility items, um, Amazon's prices are still often lower than its remaining competitors. Um, so, you know, TVs, but on things that are smaller, less visible, you know, your your power cords, um, sort of more miscellaneous uh, items, Amazon's prices are, are rising um, and now higher than uh, the, the prices of, of uh, other businesses, um, in part because Amazon, you know, uh, knows that it has people locked in. You might not be price comparing on a power cord, um, and Amazon is relying on, on being the default. Okay, there's another hand right here. So what will they take over next? Because they started as a bookstore, and now they sell everything, and then they went to music, and then they went to video, and now they're making their own shows, and now they have storage. So like, what's the next thing, do you think, that they're going to <laughs> Amazon Soul? <laughs> yes, they have um, their really good at throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, so they're big enough now that they can kind of try anything, and, and it's pretty low risk. Um, a couple of years ago, they launched a, a phone and, and a number of other devices. Um, it's one of the things that didn't work that well for them, but it didn't stop them. Um, so they just recently launched a, uh, the Echo speaker and, and the home assistant called uh, Alexa. And that's a, a, a big one that's growing for them. This is like a, a speaker you can have in your home. And Amazon is setting it up to be like the nervous system of your smart house, um, where you, you can have a smart oven that coordinates with Alexa, so on. Um, that's one area. Uh, they're also making a big push into groceries. Um, so people might be familiar with Amazon Fresh, which has had kind of limited success because groceries are it's a really expensive sector to move into. Um, but Amazon is actually starting to open up uh, in Seattle, which has become a, a testing ground for a lot of its projects. Um, some people might have seen a sort of uh, a, a pretty interesting video that Amazon released um, that's a model for a, a convenience store where you don't have to check out. You like walk in and scan your phone, and then your phone just knows what items you're taking off the shelves and charges you when you leave. Um, and Amazon's also uh, piloting a full grocery store concept too. Um, so I think those are those are areas that they're making a lot of investment in, uh, and that we can expect to see them move into more. I, I have a I have a follow up or two maybe, but. Just to start, I mean, we talked in the first half a little bit about uh, Amazon potentially stifling innovation and whatnot. But those sound like very interesting innovation things that uh, one could argue, you know, maybe those wouldn't happen if there wasn't somebody like Amazon behind it pushing it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. And it, it is one of the things that has made the company so successful. Um, but, you know, I think we're, we're starting to get almost like a... a a business monoculture in a way, um, where definitely there are some of these ideas that are coming out of the, the Amazon universe. Um, but, and it's hard to measure, but what, what are we not seeing as a result of that? Um, and, and how much are we kind of willing to rely on this, this one company for this whole range of things? Okay, uh, I've got a question over there. If there's anybody up there, I'm, w I'm very willing to come up there. So just raise your hand, it's good for me, okay. When we talk about uh, economic impacts on bricks and mortar stores, how much of that is uh, big box versus small business? And then within kind of the retail industry, are there kind of sub-industries that see it more than others? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. When we were talking about Macy's closing earlier, um, in a way, we're, we're seeing kind of a, a next wave of, you know, we had uh, downtowns and local independent businesses first have to adjust to the wave of uh, big box retail moving in. Um, and now, uh, 
you know, it's easier to measure the impacts on big box retail. So it's, it's, it's kind of pretty distinct to say right now, um, big box retailers are being hit really hard by Amazon. And it's, it's kind of independent businesses that offer more of a um, really distinct shopping experiences that have an edge in an age where, you know, if it's, if it's just to exchange money for goods, it's pretty easy to do that on Amazon. Um, so I think uh, there are certainly a lot of smaller independent businesses that are adjusting really creatively and more nimbly. Um, as far as actually quantifying it, it's a little trickier. You know, there, there are a lot of numbers on the big box end of it that you can point to. Um, and the, the independent business ecosystem is, is more diverse. So, uh, I'm sorry, I'm up here now. Um, and, uh, but if, uh, so it seems almost like you're suggesting then if it's a fight between uh, Amazon and Walmart and Best Buy, that maybe it's the local uh, patisserie that actually ends up winning uh, or something along those lines? I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's interesting to look at books, for instance, because as we've talked about tonight, books are really strongly identified with Amazon. Um, and in the last couple of years, independent booksellers have been doing really well. They've responded really um Creatively, and that's partly, you know, a, a result of the vacuum left by one of the big chains closing when Borders went out of business. There was kind of market share that uh, independent booksellers could could move in and fill that gap. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I think they've been able to really make the case that they have something to offer that uh, big chains and Amazon don't. Okay, so I did have a hand up here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer in, you know, you vote with your dollars, and I want to do the right thing. <laughs> but it's so damn enticing when they have Prime, free movies, free delivery, and then what's that smile Amazon where you can give to your charity? I mean, convince me. I, I mean, how do I, how do I get out of that and that trap? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to be convinced not to do it, but it's so easy. I think I think part of the response is that I won't try to convince you. you Wait, know, no, <laughs> he just what, he just said convince him. <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll I'll maybe try to convince you of something a little bit different, um, which is that I I do think the kind of um, personal choice, the choices that we make as consumers, is important. But I also, you know, I don't. I think we can only go so far persuading a, a certain subset of people to issue Amazon altogether. Um, and so, kind of just returning to that. Uh, Thing that I mentioned, you know, in the first part of, I, I do think we have a lot more power as citizens than we do as consumers, and that it, I, uh, I think it's really valuable to to make kind of some of those um, consumer choices, spending choices in line with values, and I also think there there can be a lot of power in um, pushing for policy that levels the playing field for independent businesses too, and that uh, that can be a way to. Uh, move the needle on some of these issues significantly. I'm going to come to you, sir, but I've been asking, I was getting all men questions, so yes. Oh, I'm, ha I'm happy to balance it. Yeah! So, yeah, ladies. Um, do you think, uh, have there been studies done or information that people have looked at in terms of um, increased consumerism? When, it, when it's, it is so easy, you just have to flick it with your thumb and click on it, and it comes to your house in two days versus even just holding it and deciding whether or not you want it in the store, I think the whole decision-making process is so much different. Have you seen any information about, are people just consuming more because of these conveniences? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. It's not a, it's not a uh, piece of it that, that I have come across. Um, that makes me wonder about that, though, too. Uh, yeah. You could just make something up. Uh, <laughs> It's an improv show. Okay, I'm going to go right here. Uh, <laughs> um, I just uh, looked up uh, on Amazon and found some stuff I couldn't find. One, one was books critical of Amazon. And, um, and just uh, I, I, I typed in Amazon sucks. I, I just wasn't coming up with anything. But when I went to Google, I found just a, a treasure trove of stuff. Um, including a, ref, uh, a link to your organization. So um, you wonder about their control of the media. Doesn't Bezos own the Washington Post? Yes. Uh, and, and to what extent are they, con uh, are they popping up or able to control 
the uh, internet access and the fast lanes, so so forth, the whole thing around net neutrality. Is that is that an issue? Um, I haven't seen Amazon in uh, too much of a of a presence in the net neutrality conversations. Um, I do think you know even if you just look at kind of their their indirect influence in the culture, um, people who. It's one of the interesting things when you compare Walmart and Amazon, right? Um, which which have some common DNA as companies, but Walmart kind of uh, hatched in rural America, um, in in you know uh, places that are more red states, um, and Amazon hatched more in in cities, and and kind of definitely is more identified with this coastal elite that uh, you know people have been talking about a lot lately. Um, yeah, and and so I think you know Amazon has a lot of um, influencers on its on its side, and that that even just in an indirect way influences the kind of um, conversations that we have around the company. Um, as far as the the direct uh, media, it is definitely true that the Washington Post covers Amazon less critically than some of its peer publications do. Um, are there yeah. are there examples though on Amazon of like as uh, was suggested that you know. They just won't carry a book or something like that that maybe is is critical, or they'll take something away that you know. If a, if I'm a small business person and I like I'm terribly critical of Amazon somehow, yet for some reason I still uh, sell things on them, uh, that they'll just like yank me. Um, I I can't immediately think of examples of kind of um, vindictiveness when uh, businesses have been critical of Amazon, but certainly vindictiveness when businesses haven't given Amazon what they've wanted. Um, Ooh, give us an example of that. <laughs> yeah, one, one kind of, I mean, there are, there are a number of them. Um, one is a, a big dispute that Amazon had with the big publishing company Hachette um, a couple of years ago. As part of that dispute, Amazon removed the buy buttons from uh, the, the books, uh, you know, Hachette authors. Um, and Wait, they just removed the buy they buttons. They the buy buttons. You couldn't get those books anywhere. So you, you could, could see, see the pages, them. but you couldn't order them. Um, <laughs> That's so um, Minnesotan. That's so wonderfully passive aggressive. I love it. Like, sure, we have the books. But. Among the authors who is uh, represent published by Hachette is a uh, representative Paul Ryan, um, and so he was upset about this at the time. And then Amazon did restore uh, the buy button on his book, but not for anyone else's, um, until that dispute with Hachette was resolved. Um, another example is, is Birkenstock, which is an interesting example because it's a, a company with a lot of brand recognition and kind of a loyal following. Um, so it's one of the few companies that has kind of publicly said, we are actually pulling our line from Amazon because we are being bullied by this company and we won't stand for it. Um, so Birkenstock doesn't sell directly to, you know, you can't, you can't buy uh, at least verified Birkenstock products directly from Amazon anymore. Um, but uh, many companies don't have that kind of uh, following to be able to take that kind of stand. All right. I have one in the back here, and then I saw one way up in the front. So, yeah. Okay. I'm wondering if you, your research commented on this. I had a friend that actually, Christmas season ago, you know, retirees, Amazon will pay for these Motorhome people, they'll pay for their three months or whatever it is to work during the Christmas season. And she was telling horror stories of the stress, and her husband actually kind of had a nervous breakdown because of the productivity that they had. You can make two mistakes out of a thousand polls that you have, and they fire you. And I wondered, we haven't kind of talked about that aspect of Amazon yet. So about the, the, the labor, yeah. Definitely. Um, it, it is a great question. And... Um, you know, the experience that I had researching this and, and talking with uh, people who are work at warehouse worker centers, labor organizers, um, is that's that's the kind of experience we hear a lot about. Um, uh, the working conditions in Amazon's facilities are, are pretty grueling across the board at any time of year, but particularly during that peak holiday season. Um, the job descriptions call for mandatory overtime. Um, you're, you're working really long days and in pretty dehumanizing conditions um, where if you are in a facility that's equipped with robotics, you might just be like interacting with this, this robot that is wheeling back and forth to you. If you're in a facility that's not, you might be running 20 miles or, you know, through the warehouse over the course of the day, picking items from shelves. Um, you have a, depending on your position, you will have a scanner gun that counts down the seconds until you have to make your next pick. And if you don't hit that productivity standard, you're docked. Um, 
there, there's a lot of, um, uh, there are announcements that read off the, the names of the people who have met their production quotas for the day. So there's kind of this culture of like shaming if you don't. Um, and Amazon would have you believe that it, it uh, treats its workers you know, well in terms of wages and benefits um, because of that. But when we uh, looked at, at some of those things, we found in the 11 metro areas we looked at where Amazon has a significant presence, um, its wages are an average of 15% lower than the, the average for comparable work in the same metro areas. Um, and there are a lot of caveats I could go into in depth about uh, how Amazon's benefits packages work and who they do and don't apply to as well. Uh, and the short version is that uh, they apply to many fewer people than Amazon would lead people to believe. And is that because, as the question was, that there's a lot of seasonal workers or things like that? or That's part of it. Um, yeah, there, there are um, definitely during the, the peak holiday season, um, staffing increases a lot. But even at other times of the year, um, there's a significant uh, temp workforce in Amazon's facilities that are employed through staffing agencies, not Amazon directly. Okay, there, there was right here, yeah. So as it relates to policy, right? Knowing what you know, if it were your decision and you were a city administrator or a city council member and Amazon wanted to come to your town, be it Cottage Grove or some rural town, what's your vote? It's hard. Um, it's hard at the local level because I think when you are um, a public official, particularly an elected official, it's it's a really flashy thing to say I'm bringing this Amazon facility to town. I certainly um, can understand that decision making, um, and I think that one of the things that's challenging about how we address this company is that there aren't a lot of those kind of site fights as. Walmart was expanding rapidly through the 1990s. A lot of the awareness of it and, and the resistance to it uh, catalyzed around a proposal for a Walmart to move into your town and people saying, whoa, this is you know going to impact our community in, in X, Y, and Z really measurable ways. Um, and you know organizing to stop that Walmart from moving in or being able to if it did move in six months later, see the really direct effect of now the local grocery store has closed, now the local toy store has closed. Um, and with Amazon, there's this way that it's kind of invisible in our communities that I think makes it really hard for uh, officials faced with those kinds of decisions to um, make make the local case for that. Um, and I, you know, I think there are definitely things that can be done at the, at the, the local level, city, state level. Um, and also that that they're, you know, given your question, if I were the decision maker, I think there's a lot that should be done at the federal level too. So let me ask the that sort of last question in a slightly different way, which is just, uh, I, I'm Jeff Bezos. What what do you tell me to do other than uh, you know take a hike or whatever? But uh, <laughs> like, what what is it that how could Amazon be actually operating better or differently that maybe if you are a city administrator or something, you're like, okay, you can come to this place, but these are the kinds of things that we're looking for you to do differently. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think uh, there's a place to start with labor law. Um, and uh, a, a lot of the, the fights around Amazon and some of its peer companies and how they relate with the people who work for them right now center around if they're classified as, as employees or independent contractors or employees or, or temp workers. And I think Amazon taking responsibility for a larger share of the people who work um, in its facilities and increasingly in its delivery services is one place that it could start. Um, I think moving up, I, you know, I would be very surprised if Amazon did this voluntarily. Um, but one thing that I think would be tremendously important for competition and some of the things we've been talking about of uh, maintaining a, a diverse and open market um, would be Amazon splitting off its uh, retail side from its platform side, you know, when, when we're talking about retailing um, and Amazon saying, okay, the, the platform that is our third party marketplace is going to be separate from the direct retailing that we do because there are too many conflicts of interest of Amazon controlling because the platform saying, if, and selling on it's it. It's like Amazon has their own line of like batteries or whatever and they are they're both producing those and selling those sort of in the same place and you're saying 
like create some sort of wall between those two or yeah i'm even so amazon does manufacture it has you know it's it's uh private labels of of goods um but even just the the regular stuff that amazon sells that is other brands made from other companies um but the way that amazon is able to kind of leverage the fact that it uh is a, a retailer and selling these these products and also hosting the platform that a lot of other third-party sellers same the same sell the same products on um, gives it a lot of power over those relationships. Um, so one of the things that at ILSR we we've kind of come to is that uh, those should be just separate companies. And. Th- I'm going to, we, I sort of asked you this already, but I, I do really like to end with that, uh, which is, we talked a little bit about people, if we're consumers, what should we do? But like, is there like a very sort of tangible piece like that we're walking out tonight and, you know, we're spending the rest of our week that, that we should do or think about if we're, if we're moved, we're like that guy in the back who's like, ah, oh, I really want to do this. Uh, but I also want to watch Man in the High Castle. So, um... <laughs> What so? What is something that we can actually do without maybe you know just sort of if if we're not willing at this point to go as far as to like just sever our our ties mm-hmm. entirely? Like what what should we do? What's sort of the practical step next first step? Yeah, it's it's a a good question, and I think coming up with some of those like actionable pieces is some of the things that uh, you know myself and others of us who are are looking closely at this company. That's where we need to go next because right now there are a lot of questions coming up, and I think. That's definitely a question I get a lot, and I don't have like really clear. Okay, here's make this phone call, sign this petition. Um, you know, here are the the concrete policy steps that you can execute. Um, I I think you know, one of the things I was saying earlier is that kind of education and awareness piece. That right now there's still so much about this company that's invisible. Um, if this conversation tonight has piqued your interest about it. Um, to go and talk about it with other people. Um, and, you know, whether whether or not you are, you know, persuaded to cut back on, on you know, your personal Amazon use or something, I, I think it's really useful uh, to just be talking about, about some of these questions. And maybe go have that conversation at your local shoe cobbler or something along those lines. Uh, cobblers are great. What, what was that? By local, as the person in the audience is screaming at us. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, thank you so much. Can we do a tremendous round of applause? Thank you for listening. This entire season was supported by the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council and the Legacy Amendment. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see an upcoming show, you can find out more information by going to our website at www.t2p2.net. You can also find out about upcoming shows by finding us on social media, either on Facebook, Twitter, or signing up for our email list. We hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks.